Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Elhamdülillahi Rabbil Alemin. Ve sallallahu ala seyyidina Muhammed ve ala alihi ve sahbihi ve sellem. We're continuing inshallah on the section of the Burda of Imam al-Busiri radiyallahu ta'ala anhu on the praise of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa sallam. And we left off uh, on this verse, kind of part of the commentary of this verse. كَالزَّهْرِ فِي طَرَفٍ وَالْبَدْرِ فِي شَرَفٍ وَالْبَحْرِ فِي كَرَمٍ وَالْدَهْرِ فِي هِمَمٍ That the Prophet ﷺ was like flowers in delicate beauty, like the full moon in honor, like the sea in generosity, and like time in persistence. And uh, in the end of this little section on this verse, the commentator Taala has a uh, subsection called Concluding Remarks in Praise of Generosity and Mention of Various Stories about the Benevolent. And there's some really cool stories here, so we're going to read this section and then see how far we get, inshallah. Um, for anyone who's on the West Coast and you're worried about Maghrib, we're going to stop. We're going to finish the class in time to pray Maghrib. So basically we'll finish today at 7.45. And then we'll just go from straight straight from now to 7.45 and then we'll pray Maghrib. Uh, people can pray Maghrib at that time, inshallah. Uh, so let me read what the commentator said. The Prophet said, The generous person is close to Allah, close to people, close to paradise, and distant from hell. And the miser is far from Allah, far from people, far from paradise, and close to hell. He says, This is no doubt, there is no doubt that generosity is one of the greatest qualities of good and one of the best traits of piety. Indeed, it is one of the qualities of the Lord, exalted is He, and the qualities of His elect prophets and saints. Generosity has remained a praiseworthy trait from the pre Islamic period of ignorance until now, and it is deemed commendable by the elect and common folk alike. So there's this idea that the quality of generosity is a universally respected and appreciated quality and that comes from even before the message of the Prophet and continues all throughout afterwards uh, one of the things that we tried to emphasize at the Majlis especially when we had this space and inshallah Allah will give us the opportunity to have a space again was this idea of generosity and that generosity is not only uh, in the things that we give to people but it is in the way that we behave towards people so it's not only in the money that i give but it's in how much of myself i give at times and this is uh, connected in many ways to another core value so to speak at the majlis which is the uh, value of hospitality hospitality of really honoring people and welcoming people and how generosity is very much tied to that because in order to be hospitable we have to give more than just what we have we give something from ourselves and um, so these are very very important qualities so there's some stories here that are mentioned they're very beautiful and we'll start with this first one Al-Hasan and Hussein and Abdullah ibn Ja'far embarked on a journey from Hajj. 
but lost track of their supplies and suffered hunger and thirst on the way. So who's going out? And Hassan, and Hussein, and Abdullah ibn Ja'far. Abdullah ibn Ja'far. questions but we're just going to run with the story I don't want to get caught up in these right now uh, in terms of like when did this happen and stuff like that because uh, well maybe not yeah anyways it's a beautiful story let's not get caught up in that Abdullah bin Jafar they went on the journey so in Hassan ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib and Hussein ibn Ali ibn Abi Talib and Abdullah bin Jafar Ibn Abi Talib Alright, so they're all I don't know what that would be Cousins They share a grandfather yeah, uh, Anyways, I don't know But they're related Soon passed by the tent of an elderly lady And asked, is there any drink? The elderly lady replied, yes And they disembarked and hobbled their camels As they approached, they noticed that the lady Only had a single sheep at the side of her tent she said to them, milk it for yourselves and chew its curd. And so they did. Afterwards they asked, is there any food? The elderly lady replied, at the moment I have nothing to offer but this sheep. Let one of you slaughter it so I may prepare a meal of it for you. So one of them went forward and slaughtered and skinned the sheep and she prepared a meal for, for them of it. They ate their meal and remained with the elderly lady for some time, after which they cooled off and prepared uh, to resume their journey. As they were leaving, they said to the elderly lady, We are a group from Quraysh. When we return safe and sound by Allah's leave, see to it that you find us, for we shall return the favor. The lady's husband came, and she informed him of what transpired. He asked her incredulously, Did you slaughter the only sheep we own, and for absolute strangers? Not long after, this elderly lady and her husband were in dire straits and settled in Medina, where they made their living selling unripe dates. One day, as the lady was passing through one of the alleyways of Medina, she walked by Al-Hassan ibn Ali, as he was sitting by the front door of his home. He immediately recognized her, but she did not remember him. He called out, O bondswoman of Allah, Ya Amatullah, don't you recognize me? No, she said, by Allah, I do not recognize you. He reminded her, I was your guest on such and such day. Remembering him, she cried out, May my mother and father be sacrificed for you, you are the one. Yes, Hassan said, and he ordered that she be given 1,000 sheep and sent her to his brother, Al-Hussein. Upon seeing her, Al-Hussein asked, How many sheep did my brother give you? Al-Hussein asked, How many sheep did my brother give you? Uh, he, she said, 1,000. And so Al-Hussein gave her a like number of sheep and sent her to Abdullah ibn Jafar ibn Abi Talib. Abdullah ibn Jafar asked her, How many sheep did Al-Hassan and Al-Hussein give you? Two thousand in total, she said. Abdullah bin Jafar said to her, Had you come to me first, I would have made things challenging for them. Had you come to me first, I would have made things challenging for them. And so Abdullah bin Jafar went to his farm to give her sheep. And on his way, stopped near a wall surrounding date palm trees that belonged to some people. So I noticed a couple of people just came in, so let me summarize the story. Right, talking about generosity. The story is that Al-Hassan and Hussein and Jafar ibn Abi Talib were traveling and they got lost and they ran out of things. And they found an elderly lady and they went to her and they asked her for food and drink and all she had was one sheep. And yet she gave them 
from the 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 drink of the sheep and they they she let them slaughter the sheep and they made food out of it and that was all that she had and then some time passed and her and her husband were poor and they moved to Medina and in Medina now she runs into an Hassan and then an Hussein who give them a thousand give her a thousand sheep each for, uh, as as a thank you for what she did for them and now she comes to Abdullah bin Jafar Abdullah bin Jafar says if you came to me first I would have made things difficult for them I would have made things challenging for them and so Abdullah bin Jafar went to his farm to give her sheep and on his way stopped near a wall surrounding date palm trees that belonged to some people there was a young black boy working the land and Abdullah bin Jafar looked on as the boy was given his daily bread suddenly a dog trespassed inside the grove and stood menacingly near the boy the boy threw a round loaf at the dog who ate it and then the boy threw a second and a third round loaf at the dog who ate them looking on Abdullah asked the boy what is your daily wage the boy answered my wage is in these loaves you see here before me if that is so Abdullah said why do you prefer this dog over yourself the boy replied "O oh, master this is not a land populated by dogs this dog comes hungry from a distant land and I am loath to refuse him Abdullah asked what do you do like what is your work the boy asked the boy replied I stack bricks all day long Abdullah said I am called generous and giving but this boy is more giving and generous than I am Abdullah then asked about the owner of the grove and the boy and he purchased both together the grove and the boy after which he emancipated the boy and gave him the grove okay so this is on his route to dealing with giving back to the lady who had helped him and Al-Hassan and Hussein when they were traveling through Medina okay this is on his way so he hasn't actually uh, repaid her yet this is on his way he saw this happen and he was like subhanallah this boy is more generous than I am I need to do something about this and he bought the grove freed the boy and gave him the property talk about like it is also reported that there were three men debating in the courtyard of the Kaaba. Okay, so this is now a, a different story. This is now a different story. It is also reported that there were three men debating in the courtyard of the Kaaba as to who was the noblest and most generous person. The first man said, the noblest and most generous person is Abdullah ibn Jafar. The second man said, the noblest and most generous person is Qais ibn Sa'd ibn Ubadah. And the third person said, the most noblest and generous person is Araba al-Ausi. They went back and forth between themselves, <coughs> debating about who is the most generous, until one of them said, let us go to them and pretend to be beggars, and let each of us ask the one whom he deems most generous. That way we can see what each of them gives and judge them individually. So they're like, okay, let's go test them then. You think he's the one, you think he's the one, you think he's the one, let's go test them. The man who preferred Abdullah bin Jafar walked over to him as the latter was inserting his foot in his camel's stirrup to ride off. The man called out, O cousin of Allah's emissary. Speak, said Abdullah. The man said, I am a passerby who has fallen into difficulty. Abdullah removed his foot from the camel's stirrup and said, Here, take this camel and the contents of its load, but take not the sword, for it is the sword of Ali. So he gave him everything he had. Except for the sword, because he's like, that sword right there, that's the sword of Ali. I'm not giving that one up. 
man who preferred Qais ibn Sa'ad ibn Ubadah approached him but found him asleep. Qais's servant said, he is asleep, what do you need? The man said, I am a stranger and passerby, a long way from home, and I have fallen upon hard times. The servant said, fulfilling your needs is easier than wakening him. Take this bag, it contains 700 dinars. Go to the resting area of the camels and convey a message to the person there. He will give you a camel and a slave, and then you can be on your way. Finally, when Qais woke up, his slave told him what he had done, and Qais set him free. So he was like, okay, good, that's a good thing you did, you're free. The man who preferred Araba al-Ausi approached him as the latter was leaving his home on the way to offer his prayer, leaning between two servants and lowering his gaze. The man called out, O Araba, speak, said Araba. The man said, I am a passerby, a stranger who is stranded alone and in need. Suddenly Araba dismissed the two slaves and clapped his hand, saying, Ah, the rights of others have not left with Araba any wealth. However, you may take these two slaves if you wish. The man said, I shall not clip your wings. In any case, Araba replied, If you refuse to take them, they are considered free. So if you like, you may take them, and if you like, they will be emancipated. The man decided to leave them. The third man then made his way to the courtyard of the Kaaba, and he and his companions all concurred that Araba was the most generous of the three because he gave despite his lack of means, whereas the former two gave only of their excess wealth. And this is an extremely important concept that somehow seems to be lost on uh, a lot of people in our community now. I'm not sure how. And that is that one, when one gives charity, their reward is related to their proportion. The reward is not related to the like absolute amount. So two people give a thousand dollars, let's say. Two people give a thousand dollars in charity. They're not both rewarded the same for that thousand dollars. Whichever of them has less money overall is rewarded more for that thousand dollars than the one who has more. So sometimes you have now people who, and some, you know, we make mistakes sometimes when we assess things. So we look as an organization maybe, and you see uh, this person's giving $10 a month, and this other person's giving $100 a month. But you know that that $10 a month is coming from someone who really doesn't have much. Uh, and we used to see this. You know, sometimes at the medjlis you'd see, like I, we had people at the medjlis who gave one dollars one dollar a month. I think he's still there. And and like I know the brother, and I know that he, I know many of his responsibilities and stuff like that. And that one dollar is more valuable than the hundred dollars from someone else. Not because we don't need the hundred dollars, <laughs> but because that one dollar is proportionately more powerful than the hundred dollars. And you'll have cases in our community where someone maybe, without exaggeration, has a million dollars. You know, a million dollars, two million dollars. Someone makes $200,000 in a year, $500,000 in a year. And they give you a thousand dollars. 
and they're like holding it over you and for them a thousand dollars is literally nothing like and then you have someone else who makes fifty thousand dollars in a year and they give you a thousand dollars and they act like they didn't give you anything and whose thousand is is more than the other person's thousand is clearly the one now the person who has more wealth perhaps they're giving to a lot of other things We're, the point here is not to judge the particular person's circumstances right they might be giving a thousand to you and a thousand to 500 other organizations you don't know right so the point is not to judge but the point is to to recognize and acknowledge that the reward with Allah is related to the need of the person so what happened in the story here is that two people gave tremendous tremendous amounts of charity but that was from their extra money and someone else gave a significant amount of charity from all that he had and that is 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 more in the sight of Allah so to speak than uh, than the other two so I think this is just an important concept to wrap our heads around uh, another story reported that a man stood in front of Abdullah ibn Abbas and said Ibn Abbas, I have a right over you and I need it fulfilled Ibn Abbas asked What is your right over me? The man replied, I once saw you standing at the well of Zemzem as your servant boy collected water from it for you and you were suffering from the extreme heat of the sun and took shade under one of my coverings as you drank you are right, Ibn Abbas said. I remember that day, and it continues to trouble my conscience. Ibn Abbas then asked his servant boy, What do you have with you now? The boy replied, I have 10,000 dirhams and 100 dinars. Ibn Abbas said, Give them to this man, but I do not think they can comp compensate for his, for his right. By Allah, the man proclaimed, Had Ismail no son but you, it would have been sufficient to establish his honor and virtue. So what can be said when his progeny includes the master of the first and the last, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. May he intercede for you and your father. Abdullah bin Abbas was the first person to set out table spreads of food besides the ro beside the roads. So this is a beautiful, beautiful story as well, right? So these are all examples of the generosity of these people. And subhanAllah, this is not a. This is not like a foregone tale. You know what I mean. This is not a foregone tale. This, there are you know when we get to in Ramadan the stories of the the righteous reciters of the Quran and stuff. One of the things I was listening to recently from Sheikh Al Husri, radiAllahu an, rahimahullah, Allah be pleased with him. There was an interview with his daughter, and she was saying that every year he would take a group of the members of his family and he would take them to Hajj and he would pay for everything. Every year. So every year he takes this one, this one, this one, this one, this one, takes them to Hajj, pays for everything. Next year, another group. Next year, another group. Next year, another group. I, one thing I was listening to was saying that he used to have the Mus'haf, the copies of the Qur'an publishing... Um, um, like the publisher of it would special delivery crates of copies of the Quran to his home.
because every person that would come, he would give them a mushaf. So if someone comes to visit, he gives them a mushaf. Someone comes to visit, he gives them a mushaf. Like hundreds and hundreds and thousands, probably crates. Crates were coming to his house. Um, that he used to have. Uh, I mean, I don't want to give away all the stories, but they would have have like a, a dining place. Anyone that comes to visit, they get fed, and everyone's gonna sit in the same room. Doesn't matter. You're like really powerful person or you're a really poor person you're all going to sit next to each other and you're going to eat the same food and you're going to be a guest of the sheikh people like this they exist up to today some more stories know that the highest grade of generosity and loftiest degree of munificence is contained in altruism or selflessly preferring others over oneself despite need. Allah Most High says, They prefer others over themselves even though they be in privation. They prefer others over themselves even though they be in privation. They're in need, but they prefer others over themselves. This is Ithar. Ithar. Okay. <clears throat> the verse was revealed concerning a man from the Ansar who took on a guest who had come to the emissary of Allah sallallahu alaihi wasallam. The Ansari did not find any provision in his possession, so after putting his hungry children to sleep, he instructed his wife to dim the lantern, whereupon she got up and pretended to fix it and then extinguished it. The Ansari then placed the only remaining portion of food he had before the guest and sat with him in the dark, moving his hand as if he was eating with the guest. Only he was letting the guest eat to his fill. When the morning came, the emissary of Allah wasallam, said, Allah is amazed, you know, well pleased with what you did with your guest. And then the verse was revealed and they prefer others over themselves even though they be in privation. So what happened? The Messenger of Allah وسلم, has a guest. This Ansari man, man from the Medina. He said, I'll, I'll uh, host your guest, O Messenger of God. Takes him to his home. He finds out we don't have anything. So what do they do? They, they prepare the food. They put the food out. And then his wife, he tells his wife, like, go fix the light. She goes and she fixes the light, and the light goes out. So now there's just the two men sitting on each side of the plate of food, and they're in the dark, so one of the, the, the host, he's taking his hand to the plate and pretending like he's eating, but he's not actually eating. And he's making sure the guest eats everything that he can from the food, right? Whatever little bit they, they can offer him. Until the guest became satiated. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, the Prophet sallallahu told him, Allah is very happy with what you did. And this verse was revealed in that context. It's in Surah Al-Hashr, 59th chapter of the Qur'an. This is how the Prophet ﷺ would prefer others over himself. The most amazing and awe-inspiring example of altruism and selflessness is found in the story of Hudayfa al-Adawi. He said, During the Battle of Yarmouk, I set out looking for one of my cousins among the wounded fighters. I was carrying a container of water and said to myself that I could drink it when thirsty or wipe my face with it. When I finally found my cousin, I decided to give him drink instead, and he indicated with his facial expression as if to say yes. 
When I got to him and prepared to give him drink, suddenly a man shouted, Ah! out of severe thirst, and my cousin indicated that I should instead give him drink. When I went to that man, I discovered that he was none other than Hisham ibn al-Asi, and I prepared to give him drink. Suddenly another man shouted, Ah! out of severe thirst, and Hisham indicated that I should give it to him instead. When I went to that man to give him drink, I discovered that he had passed away. So I went back to Hisham, but he too had passed away. And then I returned to my cousin, and he had passed away as well. What is greater than this selflessness and preference for others? What patience is greater than this patience? And this was related by Al-Yuri. So these are all stories of generosity and preferring others over oneself. Again, this is an extremely important character trait uh, that must be practiced. And it must be practiced from an early age. must be practiced. A lot of children, subhanAllah, when they're encouraged, they have this. They want to give gifts to people. They want to give things to people. They want to be generous. And we encourage them a little bit. And we try to teach them. Because these are really, really important qualities. Um, MashaAllah, generally speaking, all of the Muslim peoples are very generous. And, uh, you know, that's one of the important remnants of the prophetic guidance is this character trait and civilizational trait of generosity. But generally speaking, when you go to someone's home, they'll give you everything they have. And they'll treat you like your family. And again, you know, in terms of the majlis, this was one of our things that we tried to do, was really when someone comes to the space, you treat them the way that you would treat them if they came to your home. And they're now a guest in your home. And so... You, you honor them, you give them food, you ask them how they're doing, everything else that you would do. And um, again, this is a quality that still remains in, in the Muslim peoples, and some are even exceptionally uh, generous on top of the usual amount of generosity. Particularly the Yemenis and the Afghans come to mind. That is not to leave anyone out. Everyone, mashallah, all of the Muslim peoples are very, very generous. But these two in particular will give you in ways that you cannot imagine um, you know one of the stories that I've uh, heard from my family when they were traveling leaving Afghanistan was that they passed by you know some poor person in a village somewhere <coughs> and that person hosted them and gave them shelter and brought out like some animal fat with the with the tea and some bread and you know, there's the tea and the bread, that's the staple, it's which all you eat. And then they brought out some animal fat and they were like really happy. And they told him, you know, Alhamdulillah, it's so good that you're here and you're our guest. I've been saving this animal fat for six months, hoping that someone would come so that I can give it to them as, as, as an honor to my guest. But this is all we have. Like the bread and tea, that's all they eat for every meal all day long. You know? But this fat was saved for the guest. That's what I have to give to them. And um, and Ahlul Yemen also, mashallah. At one time I was uh, fundraising in Ramadan in this really remote kind of country masjid that was all Yemeni. It's like Yemeni factory workers in Michigan and it was a really country area. Um, and we showed up at the masjid to, to pray Maghrib and then, you know, be there for the fundraising after, in, in Tarawih. And, uh, 
you know, we came into the masjid and as soon as we sat down, several children came and put food in front of us to break our fast with. And we prayed and after we prayed, um, someone came and invited me to have iftar at their home. Um, they don't know who we are yet, right? Like we just came into this masjid. They, they have no idea who I am. They have no idea who the brother I came with are. We just showed up from Maghrib, right? So this person's like, can you come to my home for iftar? And I said, let me check with the person who I came with. And he was already, he had already committed to someone. He was in charge, you know, so it was his choice really. So he said, uh, you know, they've already invited us. We're going to go with them. But we had three invitations. We just prayed Maghrib, three invitations for iftar to come over to people's homes. Not like to sit with me in the masjid and eat, but like walk to my home with me. Everyone is like in the little neighborhood. And we'll have iftar, you know. And then when we did the fundraising, subhanAllah, despite being a very working class community, almost every single person in the masjid donated. Until actually, even all the children donated. You know, we came to the end and we're like, who can give five dollars? And all the children were like, started competing with each other. Who can give one dollar? Who can give five dollars? So on and so forth. I mean, it was amazing. SubhanAllah. It's very beautiful. Um, so I had mentioned in the beginning for anyone who's come later that we're going to stop at 7.45 to pray Maghrib for those who are West Coast. And then we'll do the same thing next week. We'll start at 7.00. And we'll go 7.45, maybe 7.50 to Maghrib. And then after that, um, we're in Ramadan. SubhanAllah. There's only this Sunday and the next Sunday. And then we're in Ramadan. Alhamdulillah. So, uh, inshallah. We will get there. Sorry, I'm on my dad's computer and I can't figure out how to. Silence the interruptions. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, so maybe we'll do one more verse. Subhanallah, the way this is going, we'll probably do one more verse today, maybe two. And then next week, we'll finish the section on praising the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And begin the section on the Prophet's birth Just as we go into Ramadan SubhanAllah So that's really Really good timing كَأَنَّهُ وَهْوَ فَرْدٌ فِي جَلَالَتِهِ فِي عَسْكَرٍ حِينَ تَنْقَاهُ وَفِي حَشَمِ كَأَنَّهُ وَهْوَ فَرْدٌ فِي جَلَالَتِهِ فِي عَسْكَرٍ حِينَ تَنْقَاهُ وَفِي حَشَمِ so majestic was his presence that even when alone, he appeared surrounded by a large army and retinue. So the verse is saying that the Prophet ﷺ was so majestic in his presence that even when he comes to you alone, you feel like an entire army came to you. So you're like, who is, you're struck by the 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 majesty of this person um, I'll say something now some people might not like but Madish I believe that it's true um, for whatever reason I personally feel like 
They don't make men the way they used to make them. And things have changed in that regard. And uh, I think an example of this, and again, you know, some people may not like what I have to say on it, but, you know, it's my opinion, is something like One Night in Miami. Uh, you know, the documentary that, or the film that came out recently, One Night in Miami. I felt like, you know, people did their job. They tried to do their best. But in the end, like, the man of today could not play the man of Malcolm's generation. Couldn't do it. They just came up short. I don't know how to explain it. <laughs> it just didn't, didn't work. Um, yeah, maybe there were other things that were bad. But, like, there, there were men who you meet them and you are just impressed by their presence. There are still people like that. Don't get me wrong. There are people like that. Um, I know some personally. They happen to be older. Uh, I, I do wonder if... Uh, there are some, even from, even from my generation, there are some. But like this idea that... Uh, and some women have this too, by the way. Like, I don't want to give away any stories, but like... A woman that it's not uncommon that when she meets people they begin crying not out of like sadness or something but just like they're so struck by her presence that they begin crying when they're talking to her and she's like it's okay you know it happens sometimes <laughs> just, like, just, just her presence is like that and you know subhanallah imagine of course the prophets and we're talking about now like regular everyday people or nice good people special people but not of course the companions of the prophet and the, the, coming from a different time coming from a time when people were strong people were reliable when people said something it meant something like they're going to die on their word um, you know people who had a value system that was very particular and um, very strong and generous and kind of I mean look at these stories that we just saw about generosity right so here we are the description of the Prophet them is such that he's you meet him and when you meet him you feel like you're meeting an entire army of people even if he's coming by himself it's the Heba in Arabic the word is Heba I don't know there's probably a good word in English for it but I've yet to find it. If anyone's going to help us, it's going to be Uncle Charlie, always coming through with, <laughs> with, with the great uh, references and terms and stuff. I should, honestly, you guys don't know. I should make a book out of the stuff that Uncle Charlie sends me. I mean, it's remarkable the comments that he sends to me, uh, usually after the classes, like things he thinks of and the connections he makes, and it's amazing. Mashallah. So, um, Heba. Heba. In Arabic is called Heba. It's like this presence that a person has. And subhanAllah. No, not prestige. Prestige. It's a good attempt. That's why, they, you know, it's... Uh, there is a word that's... Um, like there's a presence. Gravity. Gra uh, gravi gravitas, I think it is, or something like that. But, but there's like a gravity to the person. You feel this like a heaviness to their presence and not not in a bad way he said yes <laughs> yeah I think they use that sometimes but anyways 
Um, you get the point. The author says that because of the Prophet wasallam's splendor and sublime majesty and the awe felt for him in people's hearts, when he was met while alone, he would appear as if he stood in the midst of a vast and powerful army, even though he was by himself without retinue or servants. Normally, a person will only be feared if he wields force and authority and maintains an aura of inapproachability. However, the Prophet ﷺ was not like that. So this is also something really interesting. So some people, they have this aura because like, they're just prone, they're like known to be prone to acts of violence or something. Like you see it in mafia films, right? Like here's the Godfather. The Godfather has a certain aura to him. But he has an aura to him because, you know, people know he could take your life and ruin your whole family and like everything else. And like this is not how the... Some people have that because they're just powerful, right? But the Prophet them would visit the sick, follow funeral processions, sit with the weak and indigent among his companions, such as Ammar, Suhaib, Bilal, Khabab, who would not leave their presence. He would not leave their presence until they got up to leave. He would say to them, "Your life is our life, and your death is our death." To the poor and the weak among the companions of the Prophet, them. So it's not that he was like, you know, this uppity person. But he didn't have that aura. Because of these type of things He had his aura because this is what Allah gave him Which is very important That a person who seeks this kind of stuff They're probably not going to have it Or whatever they have will be artificial And not real But a person whom Allah gives that to them Then that's different This is from Allah Real true haiba Real true haiba is from Allah It's a gift that Allah gives to the person uh, It's very common to actually see this with with uh, scholars and saintly people Even though they're super humble And they're super down to earth or whatever But you just feel this like wow This person is really something Sheikh Rayyan you felt that Allah And like Sheikh Rayyan was so humble Down to earth sit on the ground Not pay attention to anyone Like like in a be concerned about other people's praise And these kind of things Not, But you feel something from him Subhanallah but despite that, the, the believer's hearts were filled with unparalleled awe. Oh, no, sorry. He would never interrupt a person in mid-sentence. Slave men and women would meet him in the street and speak with him about their concerns and problems. And they would walk and stand with him and address him as if he were one of them. But despite that, the believer's hearts were filled with unparalleled awe for the Prophet's splendor and sublime majesty. And because of the immensity of their awe and respect for him, those sitting in his presence would sit as if birds were perched above their heads. And his companions would avoid laughter in his gathering, smiling instead, and would not raise their voices. This same etiquette is required of us now in front of the Prophet's holy sanctuary, Rawdah, and sacred mosque for his sanctity after his passing is the same as his sanctity during his worldly life. So the sanctity of the Prophet and them he's getting now, like the way we deal in the masjid of the Prophet them today should be as if we're sitting in the gathering of the Prophet them. That's why it's narrated from Imam Malik that he wouldn't wear shoes in Medina. He'd walk around barefoot. And they asked him, like, what's going on? He said, well, I can't, I can't imagine wearing shoes and stepping on the place where the Prophet them used to stand or used to sit or whatever, and I have my shoes on. He'd walk around the whole town barefoot. 
It is reported that Abu Jafar al-Mansur once debated a legal issue with Imam Malik in the message of the Messenger of Allah وسلم, and raised his voice above Malik's, whereupon Malik said, Leader of the believers, the Khalifa, Leader of the believers, do not raise your voice in this masjid. For Allah said, and do not raise your voices above the voice of the emissary. And he praised others when he said, those who lower their voices in the presence of Allah's Messenger, they are the ones whose hearts Allah has tested for righteousness. This is in Surah Al-Hujrat. I believe my wife is going to do Surah Al-Hujrat for her Ramadan class. I think she said that. Or maybe she's not. I have no clue actually right now, but I think she is. Um, wherein these things will come up. Uh, Surah Al-Hujrat is known to be a chapter, 49th chapter chapter that deals with many issues of etiquette and manners but also when you look at it very carefully it gives you the etiquette and manners that are necessary to build community it's extremely important surah if you want to read it and reflect upon it and indeed the prophet sanctity and after uh, in uh, after his passing is just like his sanctity and life abu jafar conceded his point and said oh abu abdullah so now he said, okay, I agree, to Malik. He said, okay, you're right. Then he said, oh, Abu Abdullah, Malik, should I face the Qibla when I supplicate or should I face the Prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa So this happens all the time, right? People go to visit the masjid of the Prophet. You go and you say salam to the Prophet. When you say salam to the Prophet, your back is to the Qibla. So oftentimes people do what? The etiquette, actually when you look at the books of fiqh and everything else, the etiquette is you say salam to the Prophet, you say salam to Abu Bakr, you say salam to Omar, you make dua. You don't turn away from the Prophet when you make dua. Does that mean you're making dua to the Prophet and not Allah? Come on, like, are we serious? We just like, you probably just finished prayer. <laughs> First of all, people are usually going to say salam to the Prophet after prayer. You probably just finished prayer, facing the Qibla, making dua, everything's fine. You go to the Prophet, you don't have to face the Qibla to make dua, people. It's not a condition of dua to face the Qibla. And some people, some of the people get really weird about this. You're at a graveyard, you face the grave and you make dua. Are you making dua to the grave? No. You're making dua to Allah and you're facing whatever direction you need to face. You don't have to face the qibla to make dua. Na'udhu billah min al-jahineen. And the, so he asked him, Should I face the qibla when I supplicate or should I face the messenger of Allah? Malik replied. Malik replied. Imam Malik. Imam Darul Hijrah. Why would you turn your face from the one who shall be your intermediary and that of your father Adam before Allah Most High on the Day of Judgment? Meaning the Prophet is going to be the one who goes to Allah on your behalf. Why would you turn your back to him? You just make dua facing him, it's no problem. You're not making dua to him, but you don't have to turn your back to him. Indeed, you should face him and seek intercession through him unto Allah, for Allah Most High said the following, quote from the Qur'an, and if only after wronging themselves they had come to you and sought Allah's forgiveness, meaning the Prophet, and the emissary had sought forgiveness for them, they would have found Allah oft relenting and merciful. So there you go, you go, say salam to the Prophet, make dua, whatever you want, stay facing the Prophet's eyes on them, it's not a problem. And inshallah, may the Prophet be our intercessory inter inter uh, intercession on the day of judgment let it be known that every single mosque shares a portion of the sanctity held by the mosque of allah's emissary for allah most high says and houses built by the permission of allah voices should not be raised in them nor should lost and items be announced and buying and selling should not take place in them as explained in the books of fiqh these are issues known in fiqh the masjid you don't use it for like 
the musalla, you don't use it for lost and found. You don't call it, I found this. You don't sell things in the masjid. So one of the edit, one of the things to be careful of, uh, if you uh, are like involved in a community, sometimes someone will come and they'll give a lecture and they'll be compensated for that lecture, right? Don't meet them in the musalla and give them the money for the lecture. First of all, it's not like very polite to do that in front of everyone. But second of all, it's better to take it outside. You know, take it outside of the prayer space, go on the side, whatever it might be, before you're paying them for this. InshaAllah, we'll continue next time. Um, brought to my attention, someone said something funny recently. So I'll just comment on it now before we close. Someone um, was asking someone else about the majlis. So they said, yeah, you know, it's it's nice, but they don't only do lectures there. They, they also do uh, group dhikr. <laughs> so uh, my encouragement to everyone, you know, regardless of your position on any issue, is to adopt an approach and methodology to understanding our religion and to try to be consistent in that. And oftentimes what you'll find, if, if you're dealing with people who are honest, um, is that people will be really open-minded on all kinds of things. You know, you ask them rulings on divorce, they give you all kinds of opinions, even outside the four madhabs. They, you ask them about XYZ, they give you all the opinions on the face of the earth. Everyone said this one said this, and this one said this, and this one said this, and so on and so forth, and we have to make it easy for the people, and it's okay, difference of opinion, there's no problems in areas of difference of opinion, so on and so forth. And then we get to like group dhikr, everyone loses their mind. That's not intellectually uh, consistent. And you know, take it or leave it. You can trust me. You cannot trust me. You can believe whatever you want. If you if you're if you're able to read Arabic, there's endless resources you can read. But uh, it's just not intellectually consistent. I don't care. As I've said before, on uh, areas of difference of opinion, I don't have a bone. Like it's it's not my it's not like a fighting point for me. Someone doesn't want to make group dhikr, don't make group dhikr, no problem. But don't make it seem like people who come together to remember God in a respectful and decent way and with sobriety and with, um, you know, like literally just sitting in a room saying La ilaha illallah or saying astaghfirullah. Uh, don't ma- let's not make it seem like there's some sort of deviant weirdo people that are actually plotting to undermine the sanctity of the religion and betray the Muslims and all of this other stuff. It's just not right. So, um, you know, eventually, a while ago, I had said I was going to do some particular book on this topic just so that it's there. You know, some things that we teach is not because I believe that 50 people are going to come to the class. We teach it because it needs to be taught and it needs to be archived. So (laughs) there's certain things I said, I'm going to teach this book knowing that most of the people that most people are going to be like, I don't care to attend that class. That's too boring. Okay, but it needs to be taught. And it needs to be archived. And when someone comes and says, uh, you know, we have this issue or we have that issue or why do you do this or why do you do that, then 
be like, you know, there's 10 lectures over there. Bismillah, go listen to them, no problem. Um, and like again, you know, it was literally, it's literally a gathering that we had once every two weeks. When we're meeting four times, five times a week. And once every two weeks you have that gathering. And like that's like the end all of everything. Allah help us. Someone had their hand up. But they, looks like they, maybe they were saying salam. <laughs> um, okay, so that's it. Subhanakallah and bihamdik nashadu wa la ilaha wa astaghfirullah wa alaykum.